When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. And welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who can finally fucking say that she is here. Yay! And I'm Verrata, the girl sitting immediately to Jen's left right now. Currently, in this moment. Mm -hmm. Yay! Our worlds have collided. It's great. Like, I don't have to wear headphones to hear you. Mm -hmm. It's great. And like the other day, when she finished Lucifer and needed a hug because she was crying, I was right here. It was a good time. I literally texted her, are you here right now? Because I need a hug. And she sent me the emoji of running, the running girl. And I was like, yay. No spoilers, just that it was a good ending. It was like happy tears. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh. Lucifer aside, though, you are new here. Welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast usually centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two or more characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler free, then this is not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question, but we will be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. Yes, but today we're not really talking about one specific game, but rather some common tropes used in crafting romances in games. You may or may not know what a trope is, so here I am to tell you. I love to talk about tropes on this show. There are two main kinds of tropes, otherwise known as archetypes, and they are plot devices and character traits. Basically, a trope is a shorthand for the viewer, player, reader, listener, etc., like the consumer of whatever the media is, to understand a character or context for their relationships, the settings, and even overarching storylines quickly without having a ton of exposition, aka just straight up telling the consumer of the media what's going on. Imagine how awful a story would be if it opened up like, it is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire. Actually, that shit works sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But then that too became a trope in in and of itself. The crawl. The crawl. And not the certified Bioware body crawl. (laughs) Nope. Not that kind of crawl. So for tonight's show, we will be talking about some of the common plot devices in video game romances. We will be back to our regular character and romance analysis next week with an oldie 
but a goodie. But this week, we needed to relax and just talk tropes. You want to introduce our first trope that I wrote down? Ooh, okay. So this one hits me close in the heart. <laughs> the dark hair means you are dark hearted. Think of characters like Morrigan from Dragon Age or Yennefer from The Witcher or Jack from Mass Effect or Genesis from This World. <laughs> from Two Girls, One Ship. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that one was a really common one that I found when I was doing research. And obviously you can probably think of a ton more characters outside of even just games that follow that trope. You always have to have the seemingly bad woman who's scary, but also super sexy. But then when you actually get to know her, she's not that scary and she's not that bad. But she's still that damn sexy. But she is still that damn sexy. And I think that's a huge pro to the trope. Like, wouldn't you agree? Well, yeah, totally. Because when I think of more like the specifically the three that we mentioned there, Morgan, Yennefer and Jack, they are all truly powerful, badass women uh, who own their own power throughout their whole journey. And I think it kind of also like it goes with like blondes are ditzy, <laughs> you know, and then that counterpart of the brunettes are a little bit more serious and things like that. Um, it falls into that as well. And redheads are apparently skanks. Fiery, yeah. fiery, passionate. Yeah. Uh, like they can blow the top off, like anger, anger yeah, management. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a con to, I mean, there's always pros and cons to any trope. Because another way of wording trope is stereotype mm -hmm. in real life. Like that's what you would do to people when you're stereotyping them. And obviously they're not always true. I would argue when I took communications in college, they argued that none of them are good, even if they seem good, just because they're boxing people in. But they're also kind of unavoidable because just as human beings, like we have to file information so quickly, like we're going to see someone and if they visually or audibly or something match up to some kind of expectation we have already from past experience and just the culture we were raised in, we're going to do that. So for stories, especially like tropes play a huge part of it. There's lots of pros. I would say one con for the dark hair, dark hearted one is that I think video games in particular tend to rely really heavily on this one for their strong women. And we don't often get to see women who are strong that are not like dominatrix-esque, you know, mm, like, mm -hmm. because that is such a, I feel like a male fantasy at the end of the day, which yeah. there's a lot of women that are like that, but there's also a lot of women who are like, you know, not to, I guess, bring up Harry Potter, because I know that's a hot topic for a lot of people, but Neville Longbottom's like a really good character example of someone who has a quiet strength, kind of meek timid strength even mm -hmm. though those seem like an oxymoron so i think that would be a con but for the most part i think this trope is really great and especially for games because usually you're defending the world from ending and you need a kick-ass bitch on your side so yeah yeah i agree wasn't piper didn't she have black hair also yeah in fallout 4 yep i think she could be she's a little more like van not vanilla but like golden child s like she had struggles but she's not like you wouldn't mistake her for a bad person because she's it's true she's pushy but she's not bitchy like yennefer you know she's pushy for the truth not necessarily pushy to push people away mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so we've talked about our dark-haired beauties what about those redheads 
the fiery altruist Triss, Leliana, and Chloe Price. So Triss Marigold from the Witcher series, Leliana from Dragon Age, and then Chloe Price. Which Chloe is that? That's from Life is Strange. Okay. Even though she dyes her hair blue in the comics and stuff, like she's seen to have strawberry blonde hair. So she might like be kind of a stretch for this one, but I thought she, you know, she's got some warmth to her hair tone, so she counts. <laughs> you know, but definitely Liliana and Triss. Liliana especially is like on the nose played straight this trope because she is extremely redheaded and also extremely altruistic. Like everything she does in her mind is for the betterment of everyone else. So I think it's just, a, I never actually thought of this as a trope until I was researching and I'm like, oh, I guess that is a thing. Like why are redheads viewed as like the do-gooders, the, the ones that are really passionate about it because like then you have um mary jane in spider-man depending on which universe i guess she's in she can be a little bit more like this or just a background noise character um and then some might argue aloy from horizon games although she's the player character so she's still a fiery altruist because she's literally saving the world yeah yeah Merida, sure, yeah. I was trying to think of game examples mainly for the ones we list, but there's Kim Possible. Yeah, Kim Possible. Yeah. Also, my friend Eileen is a redhead, so she's kind of awesome. Well, uh, yes, yeah. she is. And I used to dye my hair red. Me too. <laughs> I think we all have done that at least once. Because even though gingers get made fun of, everyone wants to be a redhead. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful hair color. My husband is a redhead. My first love is a redhead. Um, Alistair. Mm. <laughs> uh, what color hair do we think Garrus would have? Mm. If Tyrion's had hair, what color would Garrus be? I don't want. I don't want that. I don't know. I just want him to be his Tyrion self. I can't imagine that. Okay. I've seen people imagine him as a human, and they usually give him black hair or white hair. I feel like, mm. which, okay, sure. Apollo says gray. He'd be a gray fox, Ooh. silver fox. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But Apollo, Garrus doesn't know how to deal in worlds of gray. <laughs> doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know if there are any, or actually, just kidding. I thought of a con right now. Um, the fact that they're fiery. It's like, I know, I know that that's why they picked the red hair. Because we see it and we're like, oh, they're going to be spicy. Yeah. But like... <laughs> What does that do to real redheads in the world? Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any redheads who don't have that anger or that fire, that passion when it comes to video games. Instantly, yeah. you see redhead and you think that they are going to have issues. And even Alistair being mm -hmm. a redhead, if you don't help him along his path, he'll end up as drunk. Or dead. Or dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But dead probably because he was being, oh, well, no, it's because Logan kills him. No, well, yes, or one of he when if he like gets banished, he can either like just die or become a wandering drunk, I think. But for sure, Logan could kill him. But I'm pretty sure he could also just die after the events of the game. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time. I'm trying to think of other redheads in video games where they don't have that spark fire attitude, and I can't. I yeah. can't. Nope. All right. Nevin, Devil May Cry 3. Is that a spicy person or is it just a little 
little redhead minding their business. <laughs> Seductive. Well, there you go. Yep. That yeah. counts with the, the fiery is the passionate and the passion can come in many forms. Well, because I would argue Tris is a seductress too. Oh, agreed. <laughs> but she's also like in her own way trying to do good. It's just a stupid dumbass way. <laughs> yeah. At first, at first. Oh, she was a succubus. Okay, well. Yeah, I would classify any succubus being fiery in some point. Oh, I want to introduce this next one because I love the name. I just recently heard of this. You okay? <laughs> I had never heard. I learned about it from the second character that's listed. Okay, so the next trope is a himbo, which I literally upstairs when I was researching was like, oh, like a himbimbo. A himbo, because <laughs> I'm a dumb blonde, guys. Yeah, so AKA, a himbo is like a big, sweet, dumb, like golden retriever energy kind of guy. Like Alistair, for one. He's like everyone's number one himbo. And then um, I saw an article arguing that Bro Shep is a himbo. And I agree. Like, he really is. Paragon. Yeah, Paragon, Paragon Bro Shep, yeah, is definitely a himbo. And then Ryan Lucan from life is strange true colors super cute character 1000 percent of himbo like so the game set in like this tiny colorado mountain town he, you know him did mm -hmm. you look at him okay and he's he like wears flannels all the time he's a he's a park ranger in the wilderness and he like you first meet him in a record store and he's looking for a record of bird song and he like there's this little kid whose dad figure dies and he loves D D and larping so they the whole little town like throws together this huge larp event for him to cheer him up Aww. and ryan plays all of the enemies like he has little masks and he like puts his all into it even though he has no idea what he's doing and it's so cute like okay i love that i love his character it was really hard not to romance him but the other romance option is way better <laughs> So I had to choose her. Also, I would like to say again, paging she cup, paging she cup. I request your attendance to this. <laughs> Manifest the she cup. Um, mainly because she has a huge issue with people calling Alistair a himbo. Really? See, I never thought of him as a himbo, but all over the internet, they were like, he's the number one himbo. But I've never thought of him as big, dumb, and sweet. Like, I don't think Alistair's dumb at all. Exactly. Okay. Yay. We're yeah. all No, I agree. Page, so. I agree. Um, I just I just put him as an example because everyone else seems to think he's an example. I don't... Like, he definitely has the golden retriever energy mm -hmm. um, because he aims to please. But I don't think he's dumb. No. And that's that's like the whole big thing about Alistair is that he is super sweet. And he's definitely got the looks and the body to be classified mm -hmm. it, but he's not an idiot. He is witty. He's funny. He's intelligent in his own way. Can he make stupid ass comments? Yes. Swooping is bad, you know? Yeah. I guess my only thing is if perhaps like I did see himbo defined as big, sweet and dumb specifically, but in my mind, like the way it's used most often isn't really dumb. Like, it's kind of just the male counterpart to the sexy girl that's there for, like, views, male gratification. Mm -hmm. Like, a himbo is just a sexy man character there for female gratification. Because he's kind of like what we would want, or what most women would want in a male romance option, especially. Like, just this really hot, usually built 
guy who's also very sweet and green flag and safe. So like that's definitely Alistair. It's definitely Ryan. Sometimes Bro Shep, <laughs> depending on how you play him. So um, I don't think James Vega is a himbo. I would classify him as himbo, but that's only because I don't find, I don't see the red flags in the- He falls under a, a trope that we will be talking about in my mind, like, I think more neatly, but he came in, everyone has multitudes. Yeah. But yeah, I think he, he's got the big and sweet down. I don't think Vega's very dumb, though. That's a good point, too. Yeah, Vega's not really an idiot. He wouldn't have been recruited for N7 if he was an idiot. Mm -hmm. Nope. All right. Oh, what do you think are cons to that? To like making these characters Kenuff? Um, well, I don't really know. Uh, that's an interesting one because the pros is like, yay, I get eye candy and somebody who will give me like that hyper energy love. Mm -hmm. uh, but the cons of that would be it can also provide, it can make it the character not as in-depth sometimes yeah yeah um especially if i don't if i don't feel like we can have the deep emotional connection also like if i'm coming to you with a major problem i need to know that you will be emotionally intelligent enough to handle this conversation and somebody who is very himbo and just isn't the brightest bulb <laughs> they're not going to handle that might be the most polished tool in the shed but not the brightest yeah <laughs> oh i was gonna insert like a you can polish my tool joke but then i realized <laughs> i actually don't have a tool <laughs> oh and then this next one is the trope that i fall for every time this last character i put i don't actually know who that is yet oh but i will okay. yes because i don't have the game yet but i will anyway so the next trope is my kryptonite it is the broody elf trope <laughs> which is definitely specific to games it's not necessarily common in like other romance medias like books especially which i feel like it's a whole other thing but um yeah obviously solace is a broody elf fenris and asterion is that mm -hmm. how you say that okay yep. asterion from Baldur's gate 3 which i don't know who that is but i'm definitely gonna romance him him her no H him and no you won't. oh i won't okay who should I romance? Who will I romance? You'll know. Ooh. So I actually don't know yet because I'm only about 15 hours into the oh, game. Okay. See, it came out. I bought it the week that you decided to move here. Oh, so okay. I've been kind of busy. Yeah, that's fine. Um, that and it was my 15 year wedding anniversary. It was like Monday you got here. Mm -hmm. Tuesday wedding Is anniversary. Is that when it came out? Oh, last Friday it came out. Yeah. Wow. Feels like a lot longer ago. I know. <laughs> uh, and And I waited to buy it because I was like needed the money in yeah, the bank yeah, first yeah. yeah so monday you got here tuesday wedding anniversary wednesday uh is when i really i was like okay i actually get to let's play this game thursday i recorded uh cyberpunk and now friday is here with you but as for asterion he is a little bit more um evil inclined oh so you have to make like really not nice choices to raise his affinity. So I will be doing an evil playthrough because okay. it definitely hits a few of my personal favorite tropes also. Because while I may not be a broody elf simp, <laughs> um, there is another broody type out there that I fall for mm. all the time. But since the game is so new, I will not go into spoilers. Horned god? <laughs> no. Like Kunari? What? A vampire? 
Oh, okay. Now I don't know either because True Blood was my sexual awakening. Mm. So might have to go with that person. But I'm also not evil. But is Asterion a good-looking broody elf, at least? Good-looking? I heard white hair because Fenris and Asterion were compared a lot. Um. Okay, so yes, Asterion has white hair. And he's got the voice. Um. He's just not somebody that I personally would be that physically attracted to so i don't know but he definitely is for some people okay i just need to see what this person looks like this person this actual human being oh no no that's not for me that's an elf that's an elf character yeah oh i see the ears now okay ew no no you can't ew him he looks evil I don't know. But he's also think... he's also sexy evil. Okay, so we're talking about the broody elf. Let's get to your actual broody elf voice. <laughs> um, yes, obviously. Solus is extremely broody, and I love it because he's tortured. And he has that beautiful Welsh accent. And Fenris kind of does, too. A little bit. But well, he's a little bit more British because he's yeah. to Ventura Imperium. But he's still got that voice, that deep, resonant voice with the beautiful timbre. That's really what gets me. He's a little too tortured now. Like, I was a uh, angsty post-teenager. Like, like I, I, technically young adult, but, like, I think they say girls mature faster, but... We totally um, do. We, we do, but also I was very... I had never dated anyone when I played Dragon Age 2. And so I was like, ooh, little angsty elf boy. And now I watched... When we did Dragon Age 2 and I watched his romance video again, I was like, I don't think I would go for him anymore. But um, yeah, the the cons to the broody elf is he'll leave you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he doesn't, you have to try to fix him. And that's a bad way to be in a relationship. And like, if the broody is what attracted you and yeah. you can't stay with the brood. Like if he if he if he undoes the broodiness and he like transforms into someone who no longer feels the need to brood because whatever trauma or situation has caused that is now resolved or he's, you know, working through it. What's left? Like, do you like him as who he is now? Cause let's face it. I can't think of a, a like any other gender broody elf. I, they're all, they're all men. Meryl. I, I just, I think the word broody has like this connotation of maleness to me for some reason. Like, I don't think of yeah, Meryl yeah. as brooding. Like, she is anxious. Yes. Which I guess one could argue t- kind of feels a little bit female sometimes, even though I know a lot of men with anxiety and people who are non binary with anxiety. Oh my God. Yeah. That, yeah, because I was like, oh, okay, anxiety characters and all females popped in. Yeah, I was head. just strictly speaking, like, connotation. Like, what does that word make me think of? Yeah, From yeah. experienced, like, media stuff. And I'm just like, it kind of feels like a female trope. <laughs> like, I don't know if tropes have masculine and feminine energy, but that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, broody kind of feels like a thing a man does. Bat Knight asked the question, because we've used this word quite a bit, and we've never actually defined it. What does simp mean? Oh, like, I think it actually is a shortening of the word simpering, which is to be, like, disgustingly obsessed the way a puppy, like, follows you around. Or, like, you think of a king with his little servants, like, following him around. and He's treating them like garbage, but they're like, yes, my lord. You know, like, that's kind of that. It kind of also has, like, BDSM vibes. 
a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like some, I'm sure there are like people who like the degradation do, do the simping. But like when people say simp, it just means like, I don't have a good reason for liking this. I just like it. Like they're not, it's almost unrequited, you know? Yep. It's like, it's bad for me to like it. That's why I say I simp for broody elves because all it does is lead to heartache. Yeah. But I can't stop. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with your definition. Okay. I'm not Urban Dictionary, so feel free to Google that shit. Oh, yeah. That's also another good research. Okay. Mid-break? Sure. Mid-break. I'm ready for the mid-break dance. Oh, oh, who should we dance to tonight? Um, what's a super tropey dance? Um, something... My brain went slutty. Yeah, so did mine. I was like, Jack's table dance is pretty tropey. <laughs> Never again. I did it once. <laughs> I'll have to find the footage. This footage exists. This footage exists currently on my phone. Ooh. A request of viewing. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <clears throat> okay, so welcome to the mid-break, everyone. We just want to announce that... On Spotify, the ratings system, we have been asking for 150 ratings, hopefully good ones. And we are currently at 138, so we're almost there. Let's get to 150, everybody. And obviously, in order to get to 150, we have to have support. And some of that support comes from our lovely patrons who some of them apparently had some issues this month or something. I looked at the list and there was like fraud, fraud, fraud. I um, don't know what happened. Something definitely went wrong with Twitch. And I think what it is is because we just hit our one year anniversary. Oh, yeah, we did. Yay us. And so I'm wondering if that is also our one year Patreon anniversary. Mm. So a lot of people... One of our listeners reached out and was like, hey, Patreon went through and did its one year renewal because you can pay for Patreon a whole year in advance. And so a lot of people's credit cards were like, "Uh, no, you're not allowed to pay that much money as a one shot that we haven't seen before. So please, if you don't hear your name, go check your Patreon and make sure that your card went through. If you want to still support us, of course. But yes, yes. So the patrons, according to the list I checked, that are active for August, uh, the certain tier that we thank them in the episode are Toasty, Becky, Bat Knight, Stone Mystheos, and Muffiny Cake. And I heard about you, Apollo, about whatever happened. <laughs> oh, Apollo's back. Apollo is... It didn't say it on Patreon when I checked like an hour ago, but I trusted that you said it was good. So, uh, yeah, because I got an email verifying. Oh, it went through now. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. It said it didn't list him as active, but it also said a payment went on August. So I, I just went off the active list. But Apollo, obviously, thank you forever. You're like the first patron we ever had. You know, Toasty was firsties. Oh, Toasty was firsties. Okay. I think because Apollo was like the first one, I think, to watch a live stream. Or like, yeah. I always think same for Patreon. Yeah. No. Fat Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> I will never forget that. And then freaking out because he's like, well, I listen in between breaks at school and then freaked out thinking that a high school student had joined our stream. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. 
But yes, huge shout out, major love. Thank you to all the patrons who have supported us throughout all this time. Like, we are rapidly approaching our two-year anniversary. So weird. Doesn't feel that long. (laughs) But also, that seems short. It seems like we've been longer at the same time. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just because we are close. And it makes it feel like we've known each other for a lot longer. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll let you read that one. I named it. Mm, that was right. not what they called it online. <laughs> all right. So let's get back into the show and start talking more tropes. All right. So this one here, combination of Blackwall, Samara, and Iphen from Divinity Original Sin 2. These are the battle daddies and battle mommies. Mommies and daddies. Okay. So actually in this context, I think it's a little bit more that they actually give off maternal and paternal vibes with Blackwall and Samara. I don't know Divinity Original Sin even though that to me says horny yeah all the way They're, sin equals horn um the middle-aged and older love interests hmm. okay no it's more like because they're so much older than the player character normally and they're also like powerful uh warriors or soldiers or whatever their class is like samara's kick-ass blackwell's kick-ass apparently ifin is i never played divinity but i watched a little bit of the video and he's got He's got the daddy vibe. Okay. Yeah. And the look. A little bit of gray, you know, that type of thing. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Yeah, no, I totally... I mean, that's also kind of me. (laughs) Older than most of the people I interact with. Yeah, but your love interest is older than you. That's true. And is a daddy. Battle. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Battle daddy's your trope. I think that yeah. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> He's gonna break my brain on this one. So I'm like, it's also funny because after doing all the character analysis and stuff like this, of course I repl- I apply it to real uh my actual relationship, and I was like, he's older. He has a scar on his face, and uh, I was like, hmm, okay, yeah, maybe scars are attractive, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, it was. I went on this whole thing about scars. Oh my god! Eileen brought up Adrian Victus. <laughs> okay, that's Eileen's hot take, which is not even a hot take. She wishes we could have romanced him. Do you remember him from Mass Effect? The Primarch. Um, he had a good voice. Primarch did have a very good voice, but I also don't know if I would romance him. That's a little bit too much. I feel like he would put his job in front of me. Like any good Turian would. This is why we like bad Turians. <laughs> I mean, a clear con with Blackwall is he's not who he says he is. And Samara's pretty unavailable. Like, I guess the age difference sometimes is impossible to overcome with, like, Samara and Shepard. They're just so vastly different. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of that from Samara has to do with the code more than just yeah. her age. Yeah. And, yeah, Blackwall's definitely got some shit that he needs to work through before he really should be getting into a relationship with the Inquisitor. Yeah. But otherwise, I want to see more of this. Like, I think... We, I, I've had enough of like the vaguely twenties or even younger mm-hmm. romances. Like, let's 
<laughs> let's have some middle-aged romance why don't we for sure i agree mm -hmm. now we talked about this character a little bit earlier but let's talk about the misunderstood flirt james vega zevran and sylvian from the fire emblem three houses um i don't think i've played that one Me neither. i've played fire i've played one fire emblem game but i don't think it was three houses vega to me is a completely misunderstood flirt i defended him on the episode that we did on him zev he's not even mis no he's just a shameless flirt yeah but sometimes that can be taken way out of context and it can get him into trouble i think by misunderstood it means like they're not just sluts <laughs> like mm -hmm. zevran just is defaults to that because he grew up in a whorehouse you know and he thinks that's what people want from him but he's a lot more than just like a slutty elf you know <laughs> same with vega he's not like he even says like he just does that and i don't know about sylvain um but i read that it's kind of like jack where because jack can kind of fall into this too jack like covers up some trauma by being extra promiscuous and apparently sylvain mm -hmm. does something along the same vein but i don't know if it's as bad as jack because i'm not sure what the rating is for fire emblem but i remember a lot of people playing it when i was a kid so i imagine it's not like as highly rated as mm -hmm. mass effect as, no. as terms of like age limit not like critical acclaim yeah no um fire emblems are definitely they are the ones that i have played are turn-based tactic players mm -hmm. and you know they all have romances in them but uh it's very vanilla and there's a lot to the romances mm -hmm. but there's not any scenes yeah i remember we talked about one for our panel talk where it was like you could <sighs> for lack of a better term, breed them to make better fighters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't know if all of the Fire Emblems are like that or if it was just no. that one. No, because the one that I played, it was more of uh, you can train them up by you were the teacher in the game. You were a professor. And so you had to train your students to become mm. better fighters. So no, not all breeds. Not all breeders. <laughs> um, all right. So again, Solus comes up on this list. Hmm. yes yes this last trope that we're going to talk about and to be clear these these are all character traits that we're talking about um they're tropes about a character's personality and and this last one is the sneaky mage aka solace or anders or morrigan or gale who's from baldur's gate mm -hmm. right and triss like pretty much any mage that you can think of is pretty much a sneaky mage who's yeah because meryl has like a, meryl has hiding things hiding things i think the only mage that's not really hiding anything is oh my god what's her name from dragon age inquisition she's from orlay she has the epic like maleficent oh, uh, horns i can't think of her name right now vivian vivian i was like it starts with a v but, but she was too she, oh, was, she was hiding yeah. her, her her dying husband oh yeah that's like the most mundane secret i guess yeah it's not as bad as anders or solace true <laughs> or tris honestly like at first in the first two games she's pretty damn sneaky yeah. with the whole oh gosh what's that called the lodge mages and all that stuff there's all of them yennefer's sneaky 
And let's see, as for Gale, I know that he's currently hiding something, but I don't know what it is yet. And I it for myself. I'll forget. Yeah. Uh, I also heard that he is one of the better romances oh. in the game. So it'll be really, really fun and interesting to review this game next year. I'm excited for it. Oh, Yuri Cat says that Vivian was the mistress that wasn't her husband. Oh, that's right. Oh. Well, that's extra sneaky, but I'm not going to shame her. No, the wife knew about it. Oh, just kidding. I mean, honestly. The wife and Vivian were like best friends. Oh. Hmm. Interesting dynamic. V doesn't remember anything from Inquisition no. other than Solus's ass. No, I don't care about his ass. His okay. eyes, man. His voice. And his loneliness. I thought he had a really nice ass, too, though. I guess. I don't care about that. Demisexual. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I... I think actually a con about this trope is while I listed a lot of male mages, aka magicians or whatever. Warlocks. Warlocks. Yeah. They are still like, I feel like magic is still so strongly associated with womanhood that to constantly make the mage or the witch or whatever hiding something is just playing off that whole past with like the witch trials and Christianity and like, oh, well, you can't trust someone who uses magic mm -hmm. because, of course, they're going to lie to you or trick you or manipulate you. And then D&D &D really played into it when they, you know, they heavily popularized, again, the trope of like the witches and warlocks and mm -hmm. all that stuff with the fact that you as a warlock, you swear fealty to a demon. And then as a mage, or like my character is a cleric, I gain my power from the goddess that I pray to. Mm -hmm. But for like, if your god doesn't like my god, I'm going to hide that fact from you because then you might not like me. Mm. It always has some level of inherent, I need to hide my, my truth. Yeah, I hate that about it too. Like, even the the one media that i can think of just quickly that has like positive portrayals of magic users is harry potter but they're still their entire world is hidden yeah so, like i just hate that it always has to be hidden or if it's in a world where it's open they're not trusted or looked down upon or they're kind of fringe society members mm -hmm. only only it's it's just it's going back to how it used to be where like you would have the probably a woman, but really any person who knew a little bit more about medical care living at the edge of the village and people would go to them and be like, what's the abortion tea? Like, yep. Yeah. And you'd have to do it in secret. And there's still places like that, I'm sure, in the world. And I just wish they wouldn't be so sneaky in video games because they hurt me. <laughs> oh. Anders hurt you too. We're both affected by this one. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, Anders hurt me. Yeah. We'll see if how if we ever get resolution on that one. Yeah. I don't know. I guess the pro is I love I love magic users. Mm -hmm. I just don't want them to be sneaky. Yeah. Plot devices or tropes that we'd like to see in future video games. If you think of any more, you can add them. That was mainly for me. And I was basing a lot of these off of literary tropes in romance books mm. because which some of them might be kind of hard to translate to most games, but like heavily narrative games, I think it'd be easy peasy. You can do it. The first one is enemies to lovers because yes. that yes. shit 
that shit right there <laughs> is the best. Like specifically, I love it when it's combined with the next one, which is forced proximity, which like say, you know, you imagine, okay, let's just go with it. Like Outlander, which combines a ton of other tropes, but like, you know, she's mad at Jamie at first because he like kidnaps her kind of, but then he's nice to her. And because they have to be together all the time, they start to fall in love. And like that sort of built tension just because they're next to each other all the time. I think it's good. I think it's good. And I love to see, I love to see enemies to lovers. Yeah. No, enemies to lovers is one that I fall for all the freaking time. I love it in book series. I would love to see it in a video game. I sort of a little bit got that with Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we were never really enemies. I feel like if Jack and Miranda had gotten the same Garrus Tally treatment, that would have been an enemies to lovers. Because yeah. like we've got the one big example of lovers to enemies, which is like Solus and Lavelle and Inquisitor. But what if in Dreadwolf, this one I'm holding out hope for, he can go from enemy to lover again? Like, well, not with my character, but like, I would love to see that he can reconcile with my Inquisitor or something. Yeah. Something like that. Like, there's an example right there of how you could add it to a game. It doesn't have to be the main path. It could just be one of the choices. Mm -hmm. But another reason this falls into the next one, the former lovers come together again. It doesn't even have to be something like that. It could be like in Uncharted where you had Nathan and Elena who got like separated, almost divorced, and then they fall back in love and stay together. And like, that was beautiful to see. Obviously works because that's a huge narrative game. I love that because we have so many examples of fresh new love starting. And I really just want more ex established relationships. Yeah. And especially ones like that that have real problems that they actually overcome in a healthy way like I, there's not many examples of that so the cursed beauty and the beast ah okay cursed lovers like well, one of them has a curse mm -hmm. i'm trying to think if i've seen that besides beauty and the beast <laughs> well i'm i think another example of that would be bill and Sookie and true blood because she her curse is hearing people's thoughts True. And she can't hear his or any vampires and she should end up with Eric, but whatever. Mm, agreed. Uh, <laughs> I'm also wondering, like, well, I mean, so, uh, Anders is cursed. Anders is cursed because he's a big dumb who welcomed that into him. <laughs> but he is cursed. So that is an example. But I mean, oh, that's a sad ending to a romance. So I like the Beauty and the Beast style endings where it's like, where you overcome the curse? Personally, I preferred him in beast form because when he turned into a prince, I was like, no, I don't like this. I didn't get attached to you. I got attached to the beast. Yeah. That's who I know. So I don't know if I necessarily like the curse of a physical transformation thing, but gosh, you're trying to Wait, think. Like any vampire ever, yeah. any werewolf ever. Yeah. They don't have to overcome the curse necessarily. It could just be something they have to deal with that a lover has to like live with and yeah. overcome. Which is definitely, yeah, Angel has a curse. And that's a horrible outcome for a romance as well. <laughs> so yeah, because I don't want... if you break Angel's curse, there's uh, some pretty bad. Yeah. Don't want to um, list him as an example. Because I want happy ending ones. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it it's, adds an interesting dynamic to a romance. Especially in a video game. Like, that's an easy fantasy style thing to throw in mm -hmm. to have tension because that's really what makes relationships good and believable 
is how they navigate tension and how the tension exists. Yeah. Um, let's see. Different worlds. What were you thinking with that one? Oh, um, so like they literally come from different worlds. So like Outlander is a big one because their worlds are separated by time. She's a 1940s British lady and he's a 1700s Scottish man. And so they come like from literally different worlds. And Pride and Prejudice I listed as another example because while they're still in the same world, they're different classes. Like Elizabeth Bennett is a lower class than Mr. Darcy, but they transcend like, the world differences. Like different cultures could be another one. Like literally. Can I present to you Mass Effect? Yeah, exactly. No, that's a huge one. Like because all of the alien like companions are literally from different worlds and they're able to overcome all of those differences, sometimes even like hugely molecular differences to be together. And I think that is a good thing. Obviously, Bioware does this all the time, but not a lot of other games do, which is why I think Bioware games are always everyone's favorite romances. Yeah. Because the love feels real. They had a lot of challenges. You had to really work for it. I think going for different worlds as it comes to like class and status, mm -hmm. that one would be really hard to make it feel like, uh, to make it not feel like I'm uplifting the poor. Well, yeah, no, I think a good example. So like the book that I picked out um, when we were at, was it Powell's? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it's called We Hunt the Flame by Hafsa Faisal and I love her so much and in there they have a really good romance where you don't find out that the guy is the prince obviously because he's also the kingdom's assassin and so he goes out on this mission and then this the main character who's a strong independent woman she gets sent on the mission too because she is like a huntress like she's learned how to survive and they need to find something and she's really good at tracking stuff. And so they're forced together on this mission and they couldn't obviously tell because she was from a very poor area and he's a prince, even though his dad hates him and all that, but they fall in love and come together. So like they have completely different worlds too. And most of that tension just comes from like how he's not used to women looking at him or anyone looking at him because people who know who he is are afraid of him because he's the assassin and so, like, that kind of thing, I feel like that you could add that to a game. So I just, I love that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. And when you're talking about, like, assassins and whatnot, I thought Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love the fact that they're a married couple. Mm -hmm. I also love battle couples. Yes. That's a huge, I mean, that's a good trope that we see all the time in games. But, like, I love it. I think that that is our, the, one of the tropes that we can definitely for sure agree upon. Oh, yeah. Is our thing. <laughs> yes. Rune Factory. I played Rune Factory a long time ago. But yeah. Yeah, as long as it's done well, because I, I think it could end up like that with, with the different classes specifically where it's like, oh, you just feel bad for me because I'm poor. Or there's a power dynamic there that could exist if you're not careful. But if, if you remove it, like going on a quest, mm -hmm. <laughs> I like you could do in a game, I think that'd be good. Baldur's Gate 3 is changing a lot of these and we will be seeing some of them. Sweet. Um, because I know of a BDSM room that's really good in there. And I know of a a legitimate polyamory couple. Not, I don't think... Other than, like, romance games or indie games, I don't know of a AAA game that has that at all. Mm -mm. Ever. No, it's a... 
And it like I was talking to somebody about this and I'll admit a lot of the details to spoiler it, but to not spoil it. <laughs> right. To not spoil it. Um you are flirting with one person and then you go and you're flirting with another person and you can kind and if you lock in with one, but you're still talking to the other person, the other person in this scenario that uh, the friend played through mm-hmm. was like the other person said I'm willing to make this work, but you need to go and talk to the other person you've been flirting with to see if the idea of a thruple would be amenable. Getting informed consent ahead of time, being open and willing and talking about it in the game as part of the dialogue, as part of the options that fucking floored me. Yeah, because then we don't have a situation of like, I love it when women fight over me. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's the worst the worst thing with broship in the first game like because that's just that to me is painting such a bad light on polyamory which personally i'm not polyamorous i can't see myself ever doing that but i'm also like i know that's not cheating which is how all these other games have portrayed when you try to romance more than one person it's deception yep so that's great that it's not in this case i was a little leery of um the druid romance because of the article we someone shared in our discord about the sex with the bear form Mm -hmm. so i i'm sure it's not like it's not what they made it out to be i will make i for the the druid it's the wild shape form it's a part of your inherent magic and you shape shift Mm -hmm. um at heightened emotion times and things like that normally completely under control it's just that he re- the character really, really likes you. And in a moment, in the getting up to the actual sex is just like losing shape and coming back together. So oh. you don't have sex with a bear. Okay. I knew, I, I was hoping that wasn't the case. So I hoped it was clickbait. So that's good. Yeah. Which it, I think it's cute. We see that trope all the time in romance novels with like shapeshifters and stuff. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. it's a cute moment. They don't they're, have sex they're in shy the and nervous. And then all of a yeah. sudden, I'm a fucking bear for a minute. And then, okay, let me pull it I back think in. It's cute because it's like a really huge visual cue of how they feel, which mm-hmm. that's a, especially with a male character. Because in our society, men don't usually make their emotions known very clearly. No, but they let their physical attraction known very yeah, clearly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They can't really hide that nope. very well. <laughs> anyway, I'm definitely playing Baldur's Gate 3 on September 6th. Yes. All right. Well, I think this is a good time to wrap it up then. Gosh, editing on this is going to be great because there's only one audio clip. <laughs> I, I know. It's one <laughs> continuous file. Oh, yeah. And delete some dumb shit I said, I'm sure. <laughs> nope, it's all staying in. Okay. We'll just keep it everything in. Raw footage, baby. Oh, yeah. Well. Super raw. <laughs> Super raw. <laughs> so let's wrap it up to make it not hurt as bad. Okay. Oh, my God. You don't want to use a Trojan raw? Or is it bear? What are they called? I saw a commercial for it upstairs. What? <laughs> a condom. <laughs> I was talking about condoms. (laughs) Wrap it up. Um, But wait, what? What? Pretty sure bear. I think this is no, like B A R E. Oh, okay. Because my brain was still on the druid bear. So what? (laughs) We got. Okay.
Well, if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I went through and recently published all Spotify comments, so everything is currently up to date. Uh, You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-host Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. And of course, in our Two Girls, One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. Come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm also on the Robots Radio Discord and in our own Two Girls, One Ship Discord server, where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. (laughs) Yay! love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And always remember, swooping.